One more time. Just let's just thank them for all they've done. That was uh, the beginning part was really hard to watch, wasn't it? You know, hearing those statistics and you know, just imagining what it's like to be a teenager these days with all of the wickedness, you know. Jesus said there would be the increase of wickedness and that the love of most would grow cold and even the very elect would be deceived if that were possible. I thought it was really um, significant that Chase had us just take a moment before the Lord to just sit quietly. You know, after the chaotic week that we had with the elections and the chaos that followed and still continuing, can we just go before the Lord, just humble our hearts and call in the name of the Lord? Well, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you know all things. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all, that you know our hearts, Lord, that you know the, the future. Lord, we thank you that you're not upset over the results of the election, Lord, that you, you've always known, Lord, how things were going to work. Lord, we just, we put our hope in you. We don't put our hope in anyone else but you. Because only you are good, Lord, only you know all things. And Lord, your word says that we are supposed to pray for our leaders, Lord. And so we just lift up President-elect Trump. We just pray, Lord, that you would get hold of his heart. Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would give him wisdom. And, and we do ask that you would surround him with godly counselors, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, your word says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, and so we just ask that, God, you would just show him um, how to lead, Lord, and, and ultimately, God, we give you all the glory, because we know that you are our God, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. This morning, I'm trying to figure out how to put this down without slamming it. Not upside down. Um, this morning, we have a special treat. Uh, we're going to do a little panel discussion. We've never done this before. Um, so extend us a little bit of grace. We're just going to be trying something out. Um, I have a couple of my dear friends who I would consider both to be experts on the subject that we're talking about um, as you know, we've been going through the entire book of Ephesians, and uh, last week we started in on uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, um, talking about the full armor of God and how we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. And um, so this morning, I have invited a couple of people to come up and join me, um, and so I would like you to welcome, first of all, Pete Kligman, as he makes his way up here. <clears throat> Pete is a Philly boy, 
So I'm assuming you're an Eagles fan. Are you an Eagles fan? Not so much. Okay. He was, a, he was an Eagles fan. Um, he came to Utah in 1988 for grad school at the University of Utah for uh, chemistry. So I'm impressed right there, starting right there. Um, in 1990, uh, he came to know the Lord and surrendered himself to Christ. And he graduated in 1991 with a master's of science. And he was married that same year to his best friend, Corinne. They have 12 children and 13 grandchildren so far. I don't know if they're planning to have more children. No? Nope. Okay. No more children. (laughs) And they've been coming to the adventure for the last 12 years. He has taught Bible studies here. He has been involved in our base camp. And he has also uh, been involved with the CVSOM, which is our Bible college. He's been a mentor and a facilitator since it first started. And his gifts are pastor and teacher. And his favorite things are studying God's word when God reveals something new and the light bulb turns on for a student who's having a hard time understanding a a difficult passage. So can you welcome again Pete Klegman? And also, I've invited Ka'ule Lee. Ka'ule was on our church planning team. They moved with us from the Silicon Valley in 1999, picked up their family, and uh, their kids were little at the time. They were five and three and ten weeks, nine weeks. She gets younger every time we tell the story. But <laughs> but um, they lived with us, and uh, so we were the Van Lees, and um, we had a lot of fun. We we had a lot, of, a lot of very late nights trying to come up with a name for the church and just praying and strategizing, and they have been with us since the very beginning, and um, They have worked as bivocational assisting pastors, and I know that they have blessed many of you with their ministry and their love. Uh, They have four amazing children, ranging in ages from four to 24. So imagine that. They had three kids when they first moved out here, and then God decided to bless them with another little surprise gift in the form of Liberty. Liberty Lee and... uh, Ka'ule's favorite thing to do, I think, in the universe is to love God and to love people. And uh, she has a gift. I always say she's the most graciously uh, confrontive person I've ever met. <laughs> she has a gift. She really knows, she really knows how to um, go deep into the heart of people. And she has really uh, been transformed by this particular passage that we're going to get into And she has a pretty cool story to tell concerning that. So I've invited Pete to kind of cover the historical and the contextual and the biblical side of it. Not that we're not going to cover the biblical side, but... And then Ka'ule, kind of more the practical application. So that's why the title of the message is The Armor of God Then and Now. Um, You know, as you can tell by the things that are happening since the election... There, um, there are some crazy things going on. And like we, we mentioned last week, we talked pretty, pretty in depth about the fact that we don't wrestle against people, that our struggle is not against people. We don't hate on people, right? right. We're wrestling against principalities, those things that incite us to do evil. 
we wrestle against the powers, the darkness that wants to come against us, those deceiving spirits, those little scheming spirits that, that put flesh to their stupid ideas, and they use us. And you know the only power, the only power that the dark side has over us is what we allow it and what we believe because everything from the dark is all based in lies, lies and deception. And so today we are going to talk about um, what we covered last week. We're just going to recap a little bit, and then we're going to get into the discussion. Um, so could you read this out loud with me as we, um, as we start out with Ephesians 6, verse 10? Read this with us, please. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Right? Can, can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Amen. We can see that, can't we? You know, there's got to be something demonic behind a lot of the things that are happening now. It's not, they're spirits of fear. You know, there are spirits of fear that cause people to act in ways they would not normally act. And the, the only hope for the world is the hope of Christ. And that's why we put our hope in Jesus. That's why we do not need to fear. God holds our future. Um, I, I forgot. I want to welcome American Fork Church. We have an extension campus down in American Fork. So can you guys just greet them? Hi, American Fork people. We love you. <laughs> so um, today we're going to go on. Last week we only got through two verses. Um, today, as well, we're only going to get through two verses and just barely at that. We barely even got through it first service. So, But today's message, we're going we're gonna to continue on and we're going to talk about what the armor is. Um, what the historical uh, explanations of the, the armor back in the time when Paul was actually writing this to the church at Ephesus. And we're also going to talk about the practical application of that for today. So our special guests again are Pete Kligman and Ka'ule Lee. And starting in verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on Every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, this is all we're going to really be able to get through today. We'll give you a little overview of the whole armor of God. But these are the two pieces that we're going to get to today. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, which it mentions here. Um, and then next week, we're going to hopefully get through the rest of them. If not, I don't know. We're going to probably go into Christmas with this. <laughs> so um, verse 15 says, For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here are the other pieces. This is actual footage. See, these are taken from Rome. 
just kidding. These are, these are actually historically accurate. This is what they look like in the time of the Roman soldiers. And it says in Matthew eleven twelve. it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. Now, this is not talking about violent like evil violent. This is talking about being serious and being intense and being dedicated to this, dedicated to the kingdom of God and dedicated to tearing down those things that set themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. And so um, we're going to do a little overview on the armor of God before we get into it. And Ka'ule, as I mentioned, um, this is a really, really important passage for her concerning her spiritual formation and the things that she's been through in her life. So, Kule, could you kind of expound upon the, the overview? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, the reality of spiritual warfare and the truth and the need for uh, the armor of God, you know, just became so real to me early on in my Christian walk. Um, when I came to faith uh, in the Lord, I was just living in the world. I was doing my own thing. Uh, I was involved with a man who our relationship just did not honor God in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, I think that that happens. We just tend to get into a relationship or into our jobs or whatever, and we're just living for ourselves. And it was truly in, I was truly living in the world. Um, well, uh, early on in our relationship, I found myself in a really desperate place, and I was one of those girls, that was one of those statistics that you read up there earlier uh, on. And I was on my face in my, in my living room, just crying out to God. And I had known God as a little girl and gone way, you know, on my own path, rebellion. But God in his love and in his mercy and his grace that is immeasurable, he was right there just ready for me. He was waiting. He had been pursuing me all my life. And he just picked me up out of that darkness and he took me into the light of the kingdom, just like that. And it was an amazing moment in my life, but it ticked off the devil. <laughs> I'm telling you, it really did. I don't know if anyone has ever experienced that here. But, you know, when we live our life without acknowledging God, without going to him, when we're doing our own thing, the devil kind of leaves us alone. He just kind of leaves us to our own devices. But the moment that we accept Jesus' forgiveness, the moment that we call on him as our Lord and Savior, we accept that forgiveness and the grace that covers our lives and the eternity that he gives us, it turns on the enemy. He just gets really mad. I'll just say he gets really mad. And that's when you have a target on your back. It's like, okay, I've lost one. I'm going to do everything I can to, to make her think that she's really not saved, to make her think that all that sin that she was involved in, all those bad choices, all the people she hurt, Everything that she did is still going to hamper her life. And so that's what Satan does. Is as soon as we get saved, he just comes right after us. <clears throat> and then really within the first week of coming to know the Lord, I was coming home from a Bible study and got into this really freak car accident where I went through the windshield. And then just a few weeks later, another freak accident with my car. I was in it and went through our garage. <laughs> Something happened with the pedals, really freaky happened with the pedals. And, you know... Shortly thereafter, the Lord showed me that that was just the enemy, really just trying to come and kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. Um, so I went back to college. I had taken that year off. So I went back to college and uh, got involved with a great church, Bible study. And as I was reading the word of God, um, 
he just really made the spiritual reality come alive for me. Uh, I was reading 2 Kings 6, and it was about the story of uh, the king of Aram and the king of Israel. And he had, every time he wanted to go after the Israelites, the prophet Elisha would have a word, and he'd tell the king of Israel, don't go there because the king of Aram is going to be there waiting. So this happened several times, and finally the king of Aram like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Who is the traitor in my group? And one of his soldiers said, it's not us. There is a prophet who God speaks to, and he's telling him the information. And so he says, find out where he is. We're going to go get him. And I guess a few days later or so, um, they woke up, and the servant of the prophet Elisha saw the king of Aram's army surrounding them, and he just became so filled with fear. He's like, what are we going to do? They're here. And the prophet Elisha said, don't worry, because those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And he said a prayer. He said, God, open their eyes so that they can see. This always gives me such great goosebumps because he, op- he opened their eyes, and on the mountaintop or on the mountain surrounding them, they saw chariots and horses of fire. In the spiritual realm, he opened their eyes. And that was just one of those things in my life that just came home to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, the spiritual reality is it's, I can't deny it. You know, the burning bush of Moses, that was a cool thing, let's admit. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God opens their eyes and they see in the spiritual realm. And so that was just one of those little stories in my life that really allowed me to connect to what is really real. And so back in college, I, I'm reading the word, and I came across 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. And it really, if, I'm going to read it to you, but it just goes along with Ephesians. They're almost the same verse, just said in different ways. And it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means they're not fleshly. They're not of this world. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And they cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That hit me like a ton of bricks because that's what I needed for my life right then. The enemy was bombarding me with much temptation. I was on my own at college. Um, Much temptation and lies telling me, you know, you're not a new creation, but the Bible says we're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I had to learn to stand on that, that the weapons of my warfare were not of the flesh. And I had to write it down. I put it in a frame. I actually put it on my dresser for the remainder of my, my college years. So that is just really something that started the foundation mm-hmm. for me in my life, that this is a battle. And I didn't have to be afraid. Um, if I stood on the truth, mm-hmm. if I stood on God's word, and if I knew that the battle wasn't mine to fight, but God's mm-hmm. in his power that I could stand, mm-hmm. then... So that just became the foundation for my life. And I think, you know, I think that we live in a nation that is so materialistically focused. You know, we we don't, it's really hard for us living here to really grasp the concept of a spiritual battle or even of of an invisible realm, you know? I, I, I think that we're like, you know, I'm an American, you know? There ain't no demons here. They, that's in them other countries. Sorry, that's my impersonation of a patriot. <laughs> Not in a good way, but, yeah. but it, I mean, 
But it really is hard for us to really understand that there really truly is a spiritual realm. And I love, I love what you said because it's like we don't have to fear. You know, Jesus is equipping us. It's like he's warning us that there, these things are taking place. These things are being inspired in our lives. But like we talked last week, you know, there's, you can fall on one stream or the other. The, the stream that's like everything's a demon behind a rock and everything is, you know, this is, this is inspired by Satan. But not everything that is fleshly is inspired by Satan. I mean, we kind of, we have our own desires, our own sinful nature, right? But then on the other hand, there's the, the one that's like, just ignores the spiritual realm. And, and you have to know that God has equipped us and he's given us exactly what we need. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how to combat the spiritual realm. And it all, it all is rooted in the power of the cross because without that, we don't, ha- we don't stand a chance against the evil one. So Pete's going to bring a little bit of the historical background for us. And we have, we have some pictures that... Well, they're, they're a little, maybe a little hard to see, but hopefully they'll give you an idea of kind of what was happening during that time. So take it away, Pete. Yes, Jody. <coughs> time Life has put together a collection of Paul's greatest hits. Among these are Shipwreck for Jesus, Please Don't Stone Me Again, and everybody's <laughs> beloved hit, Blinded by the Light. <laughs> that was just a commercial break. Actually... Paul was definitely a student, and he studied everything. He knew the Word. He knew the, the old, old Testament, but he also studied his surroundings, and so he, he was bringing that to us. If we look at the map I have here, that is the conquered area of Rome, Roman's, uh, Roman conquered area. You notice it's almost the whole... Uh, West. It's all the West and parts of the Middle East, North Africa. So Rome had it down. And Rome, um, he traveled in that, those circles. And so he probably obviously saw them practicing, if not actual battles, he saw them uh, doing maneuvers and that sort of thing. So he understood uh, what the Romans were doing and, and how they were doing it. One of the things that Rome used was they used in their army something called legions. And uh, we can put that, that picture up there. That, that, that's a typical legion. Now, there were several legions to the Roman army, and each one of those legions had these blocks. And uh, if we could put that one up there, yeah. That's, that's a little bit smaller, but it's probably most accurate when I could find, as far as a picture goes, of block formation. This block formation that the Romans used where it was formidable. Um, it, they used it to march against. They used it to defend they used it to, in all their practices of warfare. Um, one of the types of formations within that block they brought up was something called the turtle formation. The turtle formation, I know it's kind of a funny name, but if you think about what a turtle looks like, a turtle has all these uh, shell with all these scales on. Well, when they, when they would be attacked with archers, they would grab this turtle formation and they would be protected. They would stop what they were doing, the archers would fire upon them, but they would have the shields over their head, shields in front of them, shields on the side, and shield on the back until that stopped, so the archers stopped, and then, of course, they'd go back into their marching formation and march. Now, another thing they did, of course, they didn't just face 
um, archers, they faced chariots, and they faced cavalry charges. So they did, they uh, took from the Greek, like they did a lot of things, they took from the Greeks, um, something called a phalanx, but they made it, they improved on it. The Greeks had, uh, they'd have this, what was called a shield wall, and these really long spears in front of them that the, the charging chariots and charging horses would charge into and then get speared. But the problem with, the, with that, and that was invented by the Spartans, the problem with that is they couldn't maneuver. One way, and that's it. And the Romans, being innovators, you know, they built roads and they built all these things. They had, they had their own engin- engineering core. Um, they came up with this new idea, which the phalanx that they improved on was typical of there. It was three row. The front row would have their swords. They'd be kneeling down. The next row would be bending over in front of them with their shields up and their swords out. And the last row, the more experienced guys had their um, javelins out, javelins or spears out. And so when the charge would come, the, the charge, if you can imagine the, the charge coming, the lower part would cut out the horse's legs, the middle part, the horse's chest, and finally the spears up top would be aimed at either the horse's head or the rider's. And so um, that, was, that was their improvement on it. But here's the thing, you know, we, we talked about fear, we talked about uh, a spirit of fear. These guys had to be fearless because if they broke, then this wouldn't work. So the whole idea is it wasn't just the fact that um, you had these marching idea. And, and, if we, and one of the things I wanted to say is comparison. I'll talk more about this, is that if we think about the Roman army as a church, as the church, and each one of those block formations as individual local churches, you can start getting a picture of what Paul was trying to put together, what he was trying to assemble in the minds of the people that he was talking to. And um, anyway, um, if you can imagine, uh, what a, what's a horse weigh about? A thousand, two thousand pounds? Is that like what's a hen weigh? Yes. Yeah, two, three pounds? Two, three pounds, right, exactly. Only a horse charging, think of about 10, 20 horses charging down on you with guys screaming, with uh, uh, swords or, or javelins or spears, whatever, whatever they had charging on you, you'd have to be pretty confident, pretty <laughs> well-trained, pretty yeah. brave to stand in front of that. And these guys were. And it wasn't just they had to be trained as a unit because they had to fight as a unit, but they had to undergo extreme individual training. Mm-hmm. And they practiced, they practiced, they practiced. And so... Speaking of that, the reason that I mentioned um, also Ka'ule's involvement with this was because um, not only was this a significant uh, passage for her personally, but also in her parenting. So she's going to kind of share with you a little bit about um, how this passage was used uh, pretty dramatically in your family's formation. Um, So, you know, Doug and I were young parents of, at the time, three little ones, and as any... Christian parent here, right? Our desire is that our children grow up knowing God, loving God, and then when they're adults that they love God, serve God, love people, serve people. Really, as a parent, and this may not be enough for some of you, that's all I really want for my kids. I want them to know God and walk with God and make a difference in this world uh, for the kingdom. So how they do that, you know, God's got that. But anyway, so, you know, Doug and I are raising these three wonderful kids. We're doing a little home, we are homeschooling at the time. 
And we just thought, we were reading the scripture, and I'm going to read it to you real quick. It's in uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up. And that was such an inspiration to us. Just to be clear, in that passage that was specifically talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? But Doug and I looked at it as pertaining to the Word of God as a whole, you know, and for our lives, everything that God admonishes us to do, everything that He commands us to do in His Word. So we thought, hey, we have our time with the Lord in the morning. Why don't we involve our kids, and we'll have them put their armor on with us now, we were hoping Little Liberty would be out here because she's learning to do it, but she's a little shy. <laughs> Is that the right word? <laughs> shy. It's not the word I would have used. Just say shy. <laughs> Anyways, and so I shanghaied my three older kids. They were in service for service, but I think they're all serving right now. Are any of my kids here? Shoot. Uh, older kids? Okay. Well, we got them to come up and do a little demo of what that looked like because it was You can do of... it for us. Really? Yeah. 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 I'll hold the mic. Okay. So just imagine us doing this with three little kids, okay? Okay, I'll hold the mic for you so you can do it legit. That was not part of the plan, but that's okay. I'll flexibility. Okay, so we'd get together, Doug and I, and we'd just pray for the day, you know. And so we'd say, okay, let's put our armor on. So really it starts with the belt of truth, but back then we did it from top to bottom. So we, yes, bottom to top. So um, we said, let's, well, put on our belts of truth, and we had them fasten the belt, so, right? So we'd all do this, and we'd do that together. And then we'd say, so let's shod our feet with the pre- preparation of the gospel of peace. And all of us would do this. <laughs> it was so much fun. You see all these, my three kids, yay! And then we would put on the breastplate of righteousness. we do this, put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard our hearts. And then, above all, we put up that shield of faith, so they'd all be doing this, to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. And they didn't know what this meant, but I made him say it anyways. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Because those are the three gates to our minds. And then he says, and then, sorry, we put on the helmet of salvation. So we'd all do this. (laughs) And, um, oh, what did I do? I got that wrong, didn't I? Shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Helmet of uh, salvation to guard the gates to our minds. And last but not least, we put up the sword of the spirit and we'd all do this. Sword of the spirit! <laughs> Which is the word of God. And they had so much fun doing it and we'd always you know, have a little scripture for the week. So that was what we did as a family for probably, I don't know, years and years and years and years. <clears throat> and How many of you wish you were raised it by the least? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, I tried so, to get their sons to marry one of my daughters, but that didn't work, so yeah. I still have one available. Anyways, um, so the older, the, older th- the older three are all grown, and like I said earlier, we started it with Liberty just recently, and so it's brand new, and she gets excited. Um, just this week, we went upstairs to get dressed after breakfast, and I said, let's pray. She goes, are we going to put our armor on? So I really thought she'd be ready, but she wasn't quite, and that's okay. Maybe one day she will be, but we have fun. Cast some demons out of her for service. (laughs) Yeah, she was, yeah, anyways. So my kids are now 24, 21, and 18, and, you know, talking about this and getting prepared for this, we had a family discussion. We're like, so you guys still putting your armor on, right? And you can get out of practice, let me tell you. You know, you can still have your time with the Lord in the morning, but I think we sometimes forget that the armor is crucial. Mm-hmm. 
And whether you do it physically like that or whether you just do it in prayer form, I do think it's really important that we take that time because if we understand what the armor of God is for, then it's just something that we, we can't afford not to put on on a daily basis. So. And I think the thing is that, you know, it's, it's just like all of the things that the Lord provides for us. It's like he has given it to us, but we do have to make the choice to utilize it. You know, when those spirits start attacking you or those lies start flooding your brain, you do have a choice, you know, to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. But again, the Lord has issued us our armor, but unless we put it on and unless we take it seriously and recognize that, the, that we do have an enemy for our souls, we will go out naked, and that is not good. Because that, <laughs> that's, that's how you get hurt. And, or arrested. So, <laughs> so Wait, go for it. The, uh, this passage, it was very interesting for me. When I first read it, when I first got saved, I loved the passage. I loved the imagery, and I loved the idea. And when I first read it, I imagined myself as, as like, like an Arnie and Conan. Yeah, I will stand on this hill, and I will slay the demon hordes for the Lord. But as I started progressing in my walk and starting understanding how to study the Bible and how to understand that you have to look at who, who was being written to, who was being talked to by the authors of the Bible, and who was Paul talking to, and it wasn't a, a, a lone guy. It was actually Roman soldier. He gave the imagery of a Roman soldier because that was what he saw in his time period. And so in that respect, as I started gaining more and more understanding and understanding that, I started looking, well... Paul's not just talking to the individual in Ephesians. He's talking to the whole church. And we already talked about this in Ephesians 4. This time I remembered my glasses. Last time I didn't. By the way, when Christ comes back, I expect upgrades. (laughs) So in Ephesians 4, he said, I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity in the Spirit. That means unity. There has to be more than one to have unity, right? Well, you can have unity with one, but he's talking about a group, and that's the, that's the church he's talking about. He's a letter to the church. And then the, further down in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These are the individual jobs. Every army has a job. You have legion members. You have cavalry. You have uh, the centurions. You have the, the people that do the backup, the behind-the-scenes people, the people that do, like, the quartermasters and that sort of thing. And those of you who are in modern military can correct me later. <laughs> but um, uh, that's how an army works, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity, again, there's that unity word, of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul is giving this idea, well, wait a second, everybody helps everybody out in the body. That's how unity works. Well, that's how the Roman, that's how the Ro- those Roman formations worked. When, when they were in battle, in ba- and uh, by the way, I just wanted to interject this other thing. You saw, you saw that map, and that was the conquered area. 
Rome conquered. They were done. Now they needed to hold the lands. Christ conquered. He won the battle, or he won the war, but there's still battles to be fought. We need to hold the ground that Christ gave us, and we have to continue moving it forward, but standing means holding your ground. And so that's what we need to do as a church. And one of the things that really worked well with that whole book formation, that block formation, is as the front guys, the guys who were facing the battle, got tired or got wounded or injured or even dead, um, as happens in battle, um, they would move back, and the guys in the middle who were more uh, uh, energized could move forward and take their place and continue with the battle, continue the defense, continuing. And that's what we have to do as a church. We're individually trained, and that's great. You can have all the individualism as you want, but if you can't look to your right and look to your left and look in front of you and look behind you and depend on your brother and sister for your life, your spiritual life and physical life, then, then there's no unity. And as a church, Paul wanted us to have that. We, he wanted us to recognize that while we're in spiritual battles, there will be wounded and it will be hurt, and we need to stand with each other as well. And I think this is a really, it's a good biblical case against the, what they call the Lone Ranger Christian. You know, the people that say, oh, you know, I don't need other Christians. I can, it's just me and God, just me and Jesus. What, this makes a really solid biblical case that says, no, we need to be together. I mean, the whole New Testament talks about the church, capital C, the church. And it's saying that, that we need to love one another, serve one another, prefer one another, all the different one another's. And, and that can happen when you're just by yourself. And I think so many people try to make a, a biblical case to say, oh, well, we don't really need, I don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you don't. But if you really want to walk in the fullness of all the blessings that God has for you, he probably knew when he formulated the church that he was going to be using imperfect people. So, therefore, we know that there's no such thing as a perfect church, but we serve a perfect God. And um, we're called his bride, so. Yeah, I had a a former pastor that uh, spoke on this very thing about the bride of Christ. And he talked about people like that. And people say, well, you know, I like Jesus and and, and I'm saved. I just, don't, I just don't like being part of the church. I don't like the people there. I don't like blah, 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 and so on. And he said, look, he said, any married man will tell you, if you don't like my wife, get lost. Well, we're the bride of Christ. You know, if you don't, if you don't like us, then Christ is saying get lost. Not really, but, but, but you, get, you get the Security. picture. I mean, Christ would never say to anybody, get lost. But at the same time, he wants us to love one another, and he yeah. wants his bride to be loved. And, and if you don't love his bride, then how can you really say that you're part of the bride of Christ? Right. Well, and I think that's why forgiveness is such a huge provision. Yeah, <laughs> because we do hurt each other. We, we mess each other up in, in certain ways, you know, and, and yet in the same manner in which we have been forgiven, we need to forgive others. And so... Um, Now we're going to get a little bit into the nuts and bolts of what the actual armor of God was. And as I mentioned, we're only going to be able to get into two of them today. We're going to try to finish up the the rest of them next week with our part two. But the first one is uh, the belt of truth. It says in verse 14, stand your ground. Again, there's that word stand. Stand your ground 
putting on the belt of truth. And I think truth is such a significant thing. You know, Pilate said, what is truth? And today, there's a lot of talk about your truth. And, oh, that's not really your truth. And this is my truth. And, you know, in the universities, there's, they, they say there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, I beg to differ. And the name of that absolute truth is Jesus Christ. Amen. He said of himself, he is the truth, capital T. Jesus is the truth. It's like I say, you know, you can deny gravity all you want. But as you're falling off the edge of a cliff, you're going to recognize that gravity is a real thing. There is no spoon. There is no spoon. <laughs> what? Matrix. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Missed the reference. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. But, oh. but here's the thing. There is truth. And that is why... I think, I think probably every single week we talk about the importance of just reading the Bible, yeah. reading the Bible and knowing it so that you can smell a counterfeit a mile away so that you know what actual truth is. And I think, you know, Ka'ule is going to talk about just the, the importance of the belt of truth being the first piece yeah. of armor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, just preparing for this and just praying about it, the Lord really made it clear to me it wasn't an accident that truth was the first piece of armor. You understand? If we don't have truth as the first thing that we stand in in the day, if we just get off just a little bit from the truth, which way do we go? We go way off. We go way off kilter. And that's why truth has to be our foundation. And I I really believe that it's no mistake that Paul started that our armor of God with the truth. I love um, what Psalm 86.11, it says, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that right there, if we are walking in the word of God, we're going to walk according to his truth. Mm-hmm. And John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So this is just the beginning of our armor. Mm-hmm. And truth is so important because it keeps us secure. I don't know about you guys, but I think the enemy comes and lies at me all the time, every day, at least once a day. He's throwing me a lie, if not 10 times a day. And if I'm not careful to really stand with that belt buckled in the truth of who God says I am, not who the enemy says I am, because if the enemy says I am, it's pretty gruesome and pretty gross and pretty wicked. But I'm not that person anymore. You know, the word says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the truth. And that's what the enemy doesn't want you to remember on a daily basis. So, um, again, I just think that girding our waist, and the the New King James Version, that's the way we raised our kids, and that girding our waist with the truth, it means to encircle or to bind and to hem in. But I love the second meaning. It prepares oneself for action. It provides, equips, invests as with power or strength. And I thought, wow, that just opened up a whole other level for me with the belt of truth. Because when you gird yourself, you prepare yourself not only for action, but with power and strength. So I was like, thank you, Lord, for really showing me that extra bit of what girding means. So, mm-hmm. yep. no, 
I was just going to say that that belt of truth won't take three inches off your waist. I'm just going to let you know that. <laughs> well, and what like spanks. <laughs> one point to make. Thank you for that. Actually, just made me think of something. The belt actually um, held up the whole armor, by the way. So not only was it our first piece of armor, but it held up the rest of the pieces. It was at least 70 pounds, that armor. And if you can imagine trying to fight a battle with 70 pounds of armor on, most of it uh, was the be- breastplate. But what the belt did was it took some of that weight off of the shoulder of the soldiers so that they could fight less encumbered. And so if you think about it, that's what the truth does for us. It takes the weight of the burden of life, of the lies, of the onslaught of the enemy. It takes that burden off of us so we can fight less encumbered. So. And then the second piece that we're going to cover today is the body armor, or most translations call it the breastplate of mm-hmm. God's righteousness. And of course, you know, there are righteousness. When we talk about being righteous, it's not saying that we're standing on our own good works right. and that we are so good and we make all the right choices. I say the opposite of being righteous is being wrongous. But, um, but we naturally left to ourselves mm-hmm. are selfish in nature. We are naturally right. that way. And righteousness is simply saying that it's doing things the way God intended. And, and, and our righteousness comes from him. And That's so right. You can go ahead. Oh, well, yes. Just as Jody was saying, you know, righteousness. And I just want to camp here for just a couple of minutes. Um, I'm sure most of you know what the word righteous means. But for those of you who don't, or if it's a new concept, basically the word righteous means morally upright, to, to be virtuous, to be justified. And um, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is tzaddik, and it means lawful and correct. But the New Testament word in the Greek is called dikaios, and it means upright, observing divine laws, innocent, faultless, and guiltless. So I don't know about you, you guys. Are you guys innocent, faultless, and guiltless? Anybody here? Innocent, okay. Good, nobody's lying today. That's awesome. Um, No, seriously, innocent, faultless, and guiltless, that is a high standard. And, but what what does the Bible say about that high standard? It says in Romans 3.10 that no one is righteous. No, not one. And it goes further on to say in that particular passage that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what do we do with that? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're like, okay, what does that mean? Well, in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is God's wrath for our rebellion against him, for our disobedience, for saying, no, I want to do life my own way. And that's that's a pretty bad ending when you think about it. But I love the second half of that verse. It says the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not good news? Even though we are we deserve death, the second half of that says the free gift of God. It's because He loved us that much. He loved us more than anything or anyone, and He sent His Son to the cross to die the death that we deserved, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be made right. And I love how it ends. Just this whole thing culminates in Second Corinthians five twenty five twenty one. Excuse me, for he made him who knew no sin, that was Jesus, to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that good news? So we are the righteousness of God for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for those who have accepted the free gift of his death and resurrection to cover your sin for the gift of eternal life. If you've accepted that in your life, you are the righteousness of God. And nothing, nothing can take that away. But what does, the, what does the enemy want to tell us? Oh, you blew it again. Oh, I don't know if you're saved today. Oh, man, you're still in that sin? That's, that's not forgivable. You know, he just keeps lying to us. He keeps reminding us of the gunk. And we just have to stand with that breastplate on and remind him we are the righteousness of God. I think it's really interesting that um, the breastplate, it covers our heart. And it covers, that's why we always said to our kids, The breastplate of righteousness guards our hearts. It covers all the vital organs, and it comes up over the shoulder and around the back. Right, Pete? Around the back. So in essence, it covers our whole top part of our body. And that's how God wants us to stand, covered completely in his righteousness and being sure of that righteousness and never being dissuaded that we are righteous because of what Christ did in us. So I really love that, um, that meaning of the breastplate of righteousness. And I have one more thing that I just love that God showed me this week. I had, I had read, but probably not for this and glossed over it, but Psalm 85, 13, it says, righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. And I looked up the word herald and it's a royal messenger. It's an official messenger for an ambassador in wartime. I thought that was really interesting. And not only that, but it's a personal thing that proclaims before us. They go ahead of us to proclaim for us. And that just like that was like a rhema for me, which a rhema means it's just a word of God that pops off the page and becomes really true in your life. And what God showed me was that that righteousness is not just um, an adjective or a description, but it's an action word. And I got excited by that. I'm like, wow. It gave me a word picture that the, right, the righteousness goes before me as a protection and as, as that shield over me. So, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it's, it, the, the whole breastplate idea is, is it's wonderful because remember um, earlier, a couple, was a week ago, where Jody talked about the uh, devil prowling about like a lion looking for your weaknesses? Well, you can't see your back. And deception is like a stab in you, backstabbers. Yeah. Everybody know what a backstabber is, right? Yeah. We all know what that is. And probably most of us have experienced that before. Mm-hmm. Well, we have the righteousness on and we're protected against that kind of backstabbing that goes on. Mm. The other thing, um, in training, and Paul knew this as well, in training, part of what was considered a good, well-trained unit was the armor being bright. Mm. They had to shine. They didn't just have to. They had to care for their armor. So they had to keep that. So we are called to keep that righteousness in mind and care for it and, and keep it on us and make sure it's clean and shining. And as Jody had said, as it's shining, it's going to reflect the sun. Mm-hmm. And as we march forward, as they march forward, or as they stood, if this bright, shiny, can you imagine that, seeing all these mm-hmm. shiny lights reflecting the sun? Wow. As, as, if you were an enemy and you, you were kind of blinded by yeah, that, and yeah. it's just... Wow, look at that. And it's not, again, like Coolie said, it's not our righteousness. So we can't think of it that shining is something that we have. Mm -hmm. It's something that we're reflecting. Wow. 
Wow, what a, what a picture. Yeah. Imagine that, the army of God with, the, with their breastplates all shining and reflecting the glory of God. How scary is that for the darkness, huh? Because it says that the darkness can't overcome the light. You know? Do you guys feel empowered with this by, by knowing these things? Isn't this so beneficial? So here we go. Uh, next week we're going to be covering the rest of that, the rest of the full armor of God. Um, I just want to invite you, you know, bring your friends, bring your enemies. Um, and, yeah, your frenemies. And um, as we continue to talk about how God has equipped us, and I just want to say for you today, um, you know, just like even that skip that Glory did for us, it says, you know, in this world we will have trouble. But we can take heart because he has overcome the world. One of the ways that he's overcome the world for us as individuals and as the body of Christ is through equipping us with this armor, with these things, with the belt of truth and that breastplate of righteousness that completely covers us and protects us. So if you are going through a hard time right now, if you're feeling weary, battle weary from uh, everything life has thrown at you, I just want to invite you to, to just come up for prayer. Um, we would love to pray for you. And if you, if you have never been born again, we would love to be able to walk with you through that too. So would you mind standing now as we pray together and put on our armor? Well, Father, we just want to thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that you know all things, God, and you know exactly what we need, Lord. You know exactly what piece of armor, Lord, we're missing. And so we pray, Lord, even as we go through this teaching, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to just show us, Lord, what it is that we need from you, Lord, and that we would be humble, that we would be completely humble as we, as we ask you, Lord, to cover us. Can you guys just lift up your hands as a sign of just wanting to receive? Lord, we do. We, we lift our hands up to you, God. We want to receive everything you have for us. Lord, we don't want to live below the standard that you've called us to. Lord Jesus, we want to be raised up. God, we want to be equipped. We want to, be, we want to have your full armor, the whole armor of God, the entire armor of God. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we just declare that we want to have that belt of truth girding us, Lord. We want to have that breastplate of righteousness enveloping us, God. And as we go into these battles, Lord, in this next upcoming week, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would quicken our hearts and our minds to the truth that you have gone before us already, Lord, and that you have already won the battle. Lord, and we thank you and we worship you and we just declare again, God, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of the armies and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now give somebody a high five and tell them to get into that battle.